Choir directors are creative, resourceful, dedicated, and sometimes completely out of ideas. Not to worry, the Choir Ninja Podcast is here with solutions you never saw coming. Get ready for some training, wisdom, and inspiration from the masters. Let Ryan Guth guide your journey to becoming a Choir Ninja. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Choir Ninja Podcast, and I have Justin Kathmel back with me today. He's back for the third time. Uh, he is he is now my star Jones on The View, uh, even though um, maybe he, has, he doesn't share a lot of those characteristics, but uh, he is now a regular here on the podcast, so I want to I wanna thank him for being here. Uh, of course, we have to uh, plug our sponsors. We have two sponsors for today's podcast. The first is sightreadingfactory.com. If you don't use it, you need to because it will change your life. Uh, if you are a teacher of choral music or even instrumental and choral music, you need sightreadingfactory.com. It's very inexpensive and it's the most powerful software you can use for generating unique sight seeking examples based on specifications that you choose. So get on over to sightreadingfactory.com and type in the promo code NINJA when you check out and you will get 10 free student accounts with your annual teacher subscription. So those 10 free student accounts can be used for your all-state students who need additional brush-ups at home. They can be used for those individuals that you have in your choir that just cannot get enough and that would would nerd out over this uh, at home. Uh, so use those 10 free student accounts um, and you get them for free by typing in the promo code NINJA at checkout. Secondly, mymusicfolders.com. Now, mymusicfolders.com is the only place that you can get Choirs Are Horrible right now. Um, they are doing a pre-order right now for our, our new and expanded version of the game. Uh, we've redesigned the look um, and uh, we are... Uh, the first people we're selling it to is mymusicfolders.com, and they're going to sell it um, from their own platform. So head over to mymusicfolders.com, type in the promo code NINJA when you check out for anything besides the game because they mostly sell music folders. When you sell, when you buy from mymusicfolders.com, you will be able uh, to get the maximum bulk discount uh, for using the promo code NINJA. So this is the price that's reserved for orders of 100 pieces or more. So mymusicfolders.com, promo code NINJA, sightreadingfactory.com, promo code NINJA. And uh, just support them because they support this free show for you. Um, Justin's coming on out of the kindness of his heart. Uh, and I do this show and I put it out there for free. So that's how you support us and uh, you know, and all the good... Uh, happy things that we do here uh, at at Choir Ninja. So, uh, Justin, thank you for being on the show for the third time. Thanks, Ryan. It's always good to be on. Really appreciate it. So, Justin, I am excited for you because you wrote a book, which is awesome. So, tell me a little bit about. Give me the you, your elevator pitch here on this book and and what your inspiration was to write it. Sure, sure. Well, um, 
the title of the book is called Letters from the Front Porch. Uh, now, I wish that uh, we could be giving this interview from my front porch, but it's uh, 20 degrees here in Cleveland right now, so I don't <laughs> think that would uh, that would be too ideal. Uh, but the uh, the subtitle is really uh, a practical uh, advocacy, common sense, practical approach uh, for music education. So it's really designed to be a quick, uh, easy to understand advocacy approach uh, that can be applied to our profession. Gotcha. Uh, so often, the genesis of the book really is that so often I feel like either we're teachers in the trenches, mm -hmm. like I am, or we are graduate students or professors at a university in music education. Um, and while both of those uh, platforms are very relevant and very useful, I don't find us sitting at the same tables, uh, so to speak. Uh, we don't really connect the research that is happening in universities uh, with the work that's happening in public school. Now, I could think of several examples of where that is happening. However, to me, this is a sort of a 30,000 foot view of me seeing something uh, that I wanted to address. And so that's really the genesis of the book. The genesis of the book actually came from a, a graduate student uh, that I was talking to uh, via Facebook one day, and uh, she posted a status about how she wished that more teachers could have read the research study she read that day as part of her degree. Uh, and I commented and said, absolutely, yes, you know, I, I, I want to read it, you know. And so um, anyway, that's so that's the genesis. It's sure. letters from the front courts, and it's a common sense, practical uh, advocacy approach for music education. Now, why the front porch? I started writing it on my front porch this summer in my zero gravity chair. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Oh, I like so, that. All right. Uh, all right. So, you know, I just, I was sitting there with my laptop and, uh, I have a nice, uh, older style bungalow house, uh, here in Ohio. It's actually where my, uh, my grandparents lived and my family grew up, and so now that I teach uh, back uh, where I grew up, mm -hmm. uh, the house was the house is available, and so I'm I'm back where I grew up. So it's cool that the house can stay in the family. But yeah, it's got a nice long uh, long front porch, and it's beautiful in the summer to just sit out there and do some reading. So yeah, I figured uh, maybe you had like a sweet tea in your hand, and you know that yeah, kind of thing. Right. Okay, okay, right. Right, right. Drink, yeah. Drinking yeah. a sarsaparilla, okay, on the front porch. <laughs> Love it. Okay, right. well, you know, as we know, you know, from your previous appearances on the podcast, you are the music education advocate guy, you know, and I feel like you're really going to be making a name for yourself here. Like, I see big things for you because, you know, you're now you're a regular on the show, people recognizing your name. Now you're actually, like, putting pen to paper, you know, and, uh, or fingers to keys or whatever. Right. And writing a book. I mean, now, now, now you're like, le you're like legit now. I mean, you, not that you weren't before, but you really are now. So, so let's, let's dive into this a little bit because I, I do want to ask, like, why do you think there's such a disconnect in those two relationships that you were talking about, uh, previously, like the sort of academic music education person, and like the in the trenches music education person and like wh why is there such a gap is it is it because professors like it's been so long since they've been in you know in the classroom that they're just like not with it or like are they more with it than we think and, and so see if you can tie those together for me sure um 
you know, I, I think it's a variety as, as with a lot of these big issues, I don't think there's one particular answer. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll start by uh, giving an answer from my personal experience, and maybe maybe that'll help lead to some answers. Uh, while I was at Baldwin Wallace, uh, there was a program called Summer Scholars, and it was really a, a transformative experience for me. You could uh, apply for a 16-week summer fellowship, uh, a research uh, study essentially, and you would write a proposal, and there were lots of students that uh, applied for projects and they only accepted about 10 to 15 students. And uh, so I proposed an entire research study at the time. Uh, this would have been the summer after my junior year. Okay. Uh, so I had a understanding of running issues of the profession and things. And essentially what I proposed was a project, uh, and actually it's good, I can read right from the poster. I just hung the poster back up on my wall here to remind me of the work I did at that point in time as a good motivator. So the, the project I proposed at the time is called Data-Driven Correlations Toward Equal Access in Music Education. And essentially my goal with the correlations piece of that title was to start to link what we sort of knew was happening anecdotally by talking to teachers, but actually looking at the data. So I actually uh, requested a public records request to the Ohio Department of Education to get some of their EMIS data, which is the database that's used to report all of the things like attendance and graduation rates and course data. Okay. So getting getting to look at enrollment in arts courses uh, versus total school enrollment versus graduation rates versus all, I mean, you could break it down any which way you wanted. Um, the other thing, and then this goes back to our uh, previous interview, the other thing I did in that project was analyze uh, as sort of a sidebar to 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 try to explore this uh, was actually the election results of school levies, oh. and so to track on a concurrent timeline, right? So it, how's what's enrollment doing over this ten years? What are arts courses doing over these ten years? What do school funding levies look like over these ten years? And begin to maybe connect some dots and, and maybe not, you know, maybe not, maybe not an answer, but, but maybe we could start to see what was going on. And so here's the thing that I ran into with that project. There, there was a push for me to do a literature review. There was also a push for me to read state reporting by arts councils. Uh, which the uh, Ohio Arts Council and the Ohio Alliance for Arts Education, I will say, has been a uh, sort of a trailblazer in that in that field. They were one of the first states to publish a report going back to the 1980s and 90s um, through a survey, actually, that was mailed out to music teachers. Anyway, there were all these reports that could be read as well. However, an academic paper and a white paper, so to speak, quote unquote, white paper report that was written for policymakers don't even really gel. You know, one is one is written in a very academic, mm -hmm. cited way, and one is uh, a, a simply a report of data. You know, a lot of times when you read an academic report, there'll be an analysis and there'll be conclusions or whatever. The the reports were simply reports, and so as I talked to a lot of the professors and advisors. It was clear at that time that those two didn't really talk to each other. And so all of this to say, 
that we live in silos. Our profession lives in silos, I feel. And we are so used to doing things in the way that is typical and best practice, so mm -hmm. to speak, in each of those areas. And I wish we were able to come to more of a common dialogue that was able to be cross-referenced. So maybe that's too long-winded of an answer for you, but I, that's my analysis to your question. I think that we live in silos, and, and that's, the, that's the long and the short of it. So what was your most surprising sort of finding when you were looking at all this data? I mean, was there, was there clearly a correlation between registration into arts classes and graduation rate and or income level of a particular community and arts enrollment? Well, I can tell you this and I'm looking at it to my, to my right again. Uh, first of all, I was one student doing all of this analysis. So I mentioned all of those things but ultimately, I didn't analyze all of that. Mm -hmm. I ended up paring it down to one or two counties, and I actually specifically compared it. The specific comparison I posted on my final poster when I presented was a comparison of the number of high school seniors enrolled in vocal or choral music. I had to pare it all the way down to that, uh, compared to the overall district enrollment in Lorain County. And essentially what I found was that in districts that had decreasing enrollment, there was also a significant decrease in arts courses. But things didn't always perfectly line up. So there are some, there are some times you can look and, and, and think you draw a correlation and then you find another bit of information that makes you think otherwise. And so, unfortunately, I wasn't able to draw any specific correlations at the time mm -hmm. because of the limitations of, of me being one person and, honestly, the limitations of how data was reported sure. um, and, and, and being able to track things over time. And, and I, I, ran into, I ran into several unexpected challenges when I went to analyze that all on my own. So, um, unfortunately, that's probably not the answer that most people are hoping for in this regard. But sure. um, it, it showed me that the if there's one thing it showed me, it showed me that there are no easy answers. I, I was looking for this magic formula. And, uh, and of course, really, there's there really isn't one, um, there can be implications, but 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 nothing for sure. So you're obviously very, you're very passionate about this. And I think you're you know, you have a, a, a ton of dedication and you're really onto something because you're taking, you're taking your free time and you're, and you're pouring it into music education advocacy, which is, which is huge. And so I want to delve into your book a little bit and just get sort of a, have a brief overview. Um, your prologue is titled, This is a Wake Up Call. And I want to know without, you know, I want people to read the book. So I don't want to like go too in depth into everything because the writing is, uh, is going to be so much more beautiful than, than us just having a dialogue about this right now. But what's the, what are we worried about? What's the wake up call? Why do we, why do we need a wake up call? Well, I write. I write in the prologue, I'll just, I'll just read one sentence from it. 
and I sort of go into our heads and I write in italics sometimes. And one of the phrases in italics says, why should I have to explain why music is important? And then I say, we've all heard this before. Mm-hmm. And I ask, what have we done about it? But when we think about that question, why should I have to explain why music is important? I think that's the genesis of this. Sure. I think we, I think we, there is, there is a, um, and you talk about this on the show a lot, so I'll use your, your words. Uh, there's that elitist mindset. Um, and I think the prologue is anchored in that quote unquote elitist mindset. Sure. Um, we, we get set in our ways we don't want to be bothered by something that's evolving. And I sense as a profession that we are very, very resistant to evolution. Sure. And there are numerous, I mean, I'm not the first person to propose this. There are numerous writers in Music Educators Journal. I mean, I've scoured those articles and people have written for years on this. We're, you know, we're, um, we're going extinct. You know, we're, we're not evolving fast enough and mm-hmm. all of this now. We're still sitting here having this discussion, but I would argue that the voices get, are getting louder and louder as far as the work that we have to do in order to make ourselves relevant. So I think it's a wake-up call to um, to make people think differently sure. about about our profession. So I want to jump in and say, you know, your question that you pose in your prologue is, why should I have to explain why music is important? And um, it, it, I almost want to sort of rearrange the words and say, and and say, you know, most men, maybe uh, the old, maybe an old school or veteran music educator mentality is is thinking. I shouldn't have to explain why music is important. Right, I shouldn't have to explain that. You should just know. You should know that. I mean, you should. I mean, come on, like, because we, because that's our life. That's what we have been doing since we were children is music, and so I shouldn't have to explain that. I mean, come on, it's it stands for itself. And so I see what you're. I see what you're saying. Why should I have to explain? You know, explain this. Like, and I I try, I try to drive home. This is a sales like you're in a sales position, whether you realize it or not. You know, being a music educator is is a lot of of um, the the theory and the beauty and all this, but there it, you won't have anybody to share that with <laughs> unless you have a little bit of of a sales edge on what you do, which is, you could say, you could substitute advocacy for, you know, sales for advocacy or whatever. Yes. But, yeah, I'm sorry you have to keep, like, substantiating why you're relevant, but, like, I'm sorry, you have to. But, like, everybody does. So I don't, and I think that whole elitist thing you're talking about, you know, that I mentioned on the podcast is, is that, you as a music educator should not be immune to having to to advocate for your thing. Everybody does. You wouldn't if Ford didn't av- advocate for Ford products, nobody would drive Fords anymore. It's this, you know, it's exactly. the, it's the same thing. So just because you're you're paid on the on a public salary and the state thinks 
this is good right now and you should have and children should have music education doesn't mean you can ever stop advocating for music education once you stop then you have to play catch up and then and then you're in the then you're in the the board meeting with the the picket signs and saying don't cut our program which is again bringing bringing it back around to our either first or second interview, which was on, I think it was our first, on proactive music education advocacy. Exactly. Right? So, okay. So I like, I, like, I like that little preview into the prologue. Um, I, and I don't want to go through every chapter, but I want to just get some, some, maybe we'll do the first couple chapters and we'll leave everybody with, you know, with, with, ooh, what could the next chapters be? Because this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a huge book. This is a book that you could devour in an, in an evening if you wanted to. Um, um, it, like my favorite book, The War of Art, this is like that, it's like that kind of book. It's like that kind right. of size where, oh, look, you just picked it up off your desk. That's amazing. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, my, that's- my wife is reading it now and her mind's been blown, you know, so it's an amazing book. Yeah, I, I will credit that with uh, with really giving me the push to finish this thing because I had a I had the table of contents actually once I once I framed it out I mm-hmm. had the table of contents sitting there for several months uh, and it sat there and sat there and sat there and I I pulled that uh, War of Art book back off the shelf and I was like oh no what's the quote say on the front uh, you know a vital gem and then it says you know basically a kick in the butt yep. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, I needed, I needed that to, to get finished. So yeah, um, it's, uh, I, I like, I, I like the style of, of keeping things short and, uh, and concise because yes. if we, the audience is, is, is our, is our friends in choir nation out there mm-hmm. and, and they're busy, they're busy teachers as am I. And so I, I don't have time to sit and, uh, devour someone's master's thesis yeah it's it's, it's a ama- it's right i and i agree you have to be a good steward of people's time and that is not only as uh an author but as a music educator as well um you know if you the biggest advocacy you could do and i think if you probably hit it in chapter seven um you know is is you have people showing up to enjoy the fruits of your and your students labor it needs to mean something to the people that are in the audience and that are you know you need to be a good steward of their time and of their attention so um let's why don't you pick like let's pick like three chapters and that way you can give a brief overview on we want to start with seven because i i feel like that kind of drives a lot of points home that we've been making in the podcast sure Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we can jump there. So seven is called finally, and this is the cool part about listening to the podcast. You can hear sort of the, uh, the voice in my head here. Uh, finally a concert with meaning. Uh, and you know, I really get at in that chapter, um, really aligning a concert uh, or arcing a concert, you could even think, um, aligning a concert so that it takes the audience on an emotional journey. Um, you're not just giving um, a concert. You're not just giving the concert for a sake of a concert. Yeah, you're we say we concert. say recital here at Choir Ninja. You're not giving a recital, right? You're giving a you're giving a concert. Thank you. 
Yeah. Thank you. Yes, you you're reading my mind. Absolutely right. So so you're this isn't this isn't a, uh, somebody's master's or doctoral recital. Um, and uh, um, okay, so I'll I'll read two sentences and then I'll 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 uh, sort of talk more from there. Uh, about halfway through, I say a concert needs to be a transformative, moving experience. How are we inviting our audience to share in a transformative experience with us if we can't even be creative enough to give our concert any other title besides concert? <laughs> Whoa, drop the mic. So, right. So you have to, I mean, how are we expecting? Uh, so here's the other analogy I'll give, Ryan. I, I don't have an auditorium at my school. Um, I give my concerts in a pretty much 2,500 seat gymnasium. It's a massive gym gymnasium. We host a lot of district and regional tournaments actually, because it's so huge. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the seats on that are set up for, uh, the audience members to sit because it's on the basketball court, right? Because then the stage is at one end. Mm -hmm. These are the, uh, those hard plastic metal chairs that don't have cushions, right? And that you're not gonna sit comfortably in those for longer than about an hour. And even that's pushing it. I was just sitting in sitting in one of them the other day at one of our professional development days. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is a 40 minute presentation. And uh, I already have to get up and move around. Where my legs what are asleep, I, right? <laughs> parents, yeah, right. What do my parents think when they're sitting at a concert in these exact same chairs? Mm -hmm. um, and so, so you have to, you have to think of a concert as something that that involves your audience, and so many people can explain this in in way better ways than I can. But but I'm thinking about it as an advocacy uh, perspective. Sure. Um, you want people leaving your concert knowing exactly why your their student, their son or daughter, is in your choir room each day. Mm -hmm. they, they should be able to see it. And they should be able to see how on their faces, on the faces of the students, right? They should be able to see how choir is transforming their students' life. Mm -hmm. And and I think I think to sort of sum it up, I, I I I think we'll I think we might bring this one to a close there because I think there's there's um there's so much more in the chapter for people to to read. But that that's what I'm getting at there is that we need to step up our game as far as uh, a concert is is concerned, and the the things that we use to engage our audiences. We should not have concerts that are called concerts. That's great, and 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 okay. So that's that's the one I wanted to I wanted to pick on because uh, it's something that I think is near and dear to us here at Choir Ninja. But um, what about? Why don't you just let's pick one that you maybe want to talk about real quick as a little mini synopsis for the chapter. Uh, and then what we'll do is, uh, you know, be good stewards of choir nation's time, let them and let them read the book on their own. Sure. Uh, so the one I would like to go to, and I'm flipping to it now on case I want to read, uh, something is, uh, the one called who's that bot guy. And why do you have a stuffed doll of him on your desk? <laughs> Chapter five. So we, we went from um, from ceramic bust to stuffed doll. That's good. Yes. Because Schroeder yes. had the Beethoven bust on his piano. All right. Okay. So now we have a stuffed right. Bach. Okay. Very good. Yes. 
So I think the reason that this is so fresh in my mind is, is I actually just gave, uh, I just used my uh, Bach doll today uh, in songwriting class. Uh, so uh, so I, I, I just gave this speech today. I just did uh, chapter five today in, uh, in class. Um, we're doing a uh, combined uh, creative writing and songwriting uh, cross-curricular uh, interdisciplinary like three-week unit right now. And we just kicked it off today. Uh, and so we were introducing that uh, my colleague and I, uh, who is uh, an English teacher in the English department who teaches a creative writing semester course, um, we realized we had these classes in the same period. And so we thought we'd combine our classes. And so it was it's going to be a really great um cross-curricular unit three weeks that uh, is going to get even more kids interested in uh, in songwriting, I think, because all they think is they just signed up for creative writing and all of a sudden on their second day of class, they're being marched down to the choir room, which just made me smile from ear to ear. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's a bit of a sidebar. Uh, so we introduced ourselves through uh, through one object. Uh, so the, the English teacher, my English colleague, uh, Amanda Passarello, who's just an amazing, amazing English teacher. Uh, I'm going to give her a shout out because she, the way she teaches this creative writing class is amazing. Um, she said that we should introduce ourselves using one object uh, and she called it a me bag. So we're going to have the kids do this uh, at the end of the week. And so the kids have to bring in one item that can fit into a, plas a paper bag, like a lunch bag. Okay. Uh, and then uh, they use the object to tell uh, the other class, the rest of the class about themselves. Uh, the point of this is I have the, um, paper bag sitting on the piano when all the kids walk in and most of the kids have no idea who I am because they haven't ever had me before. And I pull out Bach out of the paper bag mm -hmm. and they all go, who is that guy? And I said, well, the reason that I brought Bach today, everyone, is that we can draw all music. The music you're listening to right now on the radio can all be traced in some way back to Bach's music. Well, how can that, how can that possibly be? They start getting really confused because I tell them that, you know, obviously I tell them all about Bach and that he lived in Germany in the 1600s and, you know, way a long time ago, whatever they don't, they don't. You know, so they're they're still confused about all this, and I, so then I say, then I say, so the chords that Bach did and the way he wrote the chord progressions, you know, one five one da da da, right? Or the way he harmonized things, how you hear harmony on the radio. I start to give all these examples. Anyway, so I give this whole speech, and I've given this to my choir before, and then they know they know that I'll pull Bach out every once in a while, and. He plays, he plays something, you can wind him up, and he plays something like a music box. And so I'll wind him up, and I'll play his music, and then he goes back to sit over next to my uh, stereo uh, and just lives there all the time. Anyway, the point of the Bach chapter is that you have to connect, you have to meet the students where they are mm -hmm. musically. We talk so much about how we need to make concerts engaging for our audience but we also need to make our instruction engaging for our students mm -hmm. that meets them where they are in consuming music today. Sure. Which most often is now a streaming service that they can type in whatever song they want 
and then it will create music based on what you've listened to before. Sure. And so to me, we have, we have this instant access piece, right, to anything the kids could ever want to listen to, including choral music. Right. Right. So how can we bridge, again, talking about bridging that gap, uh, in this case now between generations of music history, right? If, if they're hearing how Bach relates to the music they're listening to now, I wonder if they might go look up a Bach piece when they leave my classroom and start to see if they can make that connection for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I challenge them to do that all the time. Um, and so Bach serves as a visual reminder that we have to meet our students musically where they are. I was just, just listening to uh, a choir chat interview with uh, John, that John Hughes does, and he was interviewing uh, Donald Nguyen. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the huge, huge, uh, big giants in our choral world. And he was telling a, an amazing story about how uh, when he had his first high school job, uh, Donald Nguyen said that, I, if I'm remembering correctly, he was inheriting a marching band and the district said, we don't really care to have a choir, but if you really have to have a choir, you can start one if you really want one. So he was starting from nothing. He said that entire first year, he did all pop music, all pop music to build interest for the program. Sure. There was 187 students in the school. He said by the time he ended his first year, there were 164 of them at his door ready to audition for the next year. Wow. So if that doesn't tell you something about the point I'm trying to make here, I don't know what does. We've got to right. meet the students where they are. We've got to generate interest for our program. And the repertoire has got to be taught in an engaging and relevant way, or then you alienate your students. Then you've got students who aren't interested anymore who could care less to come to your rehearsal each day. Right. I have, uh, I have the finest taste in core literature and the best seven students in the school <laughs> you know? right, 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 right. right okay good for you oh uh, yeah no that's it, this is that's huge right if, if we're if we're trying to meet the audience where they're at we got to meet the students where they're at too and it's a long game i mean it's, it's like and i think that's that's the thing is is that like you are a creative like as a well, you're supposed to be as a choral director. You're supposed to be a creative, yet everybody is looking for the formula that works. Right when you go to a concert, a conference, like give me the magic bullet. What is that? Ma you know, what is that magic thing I can say, or that one piece that I can do that will turn, you know, turn a magic switch for my program and children will will come flooding into my classroom right and it just doesn't exist what it what what does exist is this long game that you're gonna have to play if you want a seat at the big boy and big girl table in the choral world right um so right just like donald newen he probably hustled his butt off that year um to get those to get those those you know those kids in the door so yeah, I I'm with you. These are great principles that you are that you bring up. And I whenever I hear the words music education advocacy, 
you know, I automatically get the pee shivers, you know, you know, (laughs) know? and because, because it's been presented so poorly to me in all of my, all of my, uh, you know, previous training in college and stuff like that. And this is common sense stuff. This is why I like you, Justin, because this is, is written. Well, you know what it is? It's written in a way that the average Joe like me in the coral world can understand it. It's not like you're sitting on your, you know, your academic tuffet or whatever. You're you're coming yeah. at me with with real language, real issues, real solutions, uh, and real real just simple principles to think about. And and I, and I appreciate that about you, Justin. So so I you know thank you, and I think this is a wonderful contribution to. Uh, to the coral world. So I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm glad to support you on that. Well, I, I really appreciate your support, Ryan. And I, I agree that I think we need to get rid of that uh, stereotype, unfortunately, that the words music education advocacy has developed in our profession. I see it too here in Ohio. I'm always so frustrated that I'm one of maybe five people sitting right. in an advocacy session at our, at our state conference every year. Um, Right, so. and it's it's you're flipping the, and you can put this on your cover, on your your back cover, if you want. You are flipping the dialogue from advocacy, meaning I want this and I need this to survive, to to here's the value that we bring to the table, right? So so not only is it proactive. It's also it's also value first. I'm meeting the, I'm meeting people where they need to be met. I am creating something that is that is intrinsically valuable to them, and and because of value, 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 value first, and all the and you're doing. I know if you feels like you're selling your soul, Choir Nation. Like I'm sorry, but you you meet people where they are. You give, 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 give. And eventually, you will have the program that you want, right? Exactly. But it's it's about you're but you're flipping the advocacy dialogue to value first, not oh crap, we're out of money. <laughs> I need right. this. Well, and I would and I would add, Ryan, that that when you start with value first, and you find the right voices that are going to support that value message right away and mm-hmm. you and you keep talking value 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 you're going to you're going to develop a following i think the eventually isn't a, as long of an eventually as as one might assume sure um once you get the right people behind you um it's pretty and i'm seeing this right now with a couple of projects i'm starting for next year if once you get the right people behind you it's uh it's pretty amazing how, how much they will support you once they realize what you're after and that you're not just going to come ask them for money, right. that you're going to always start with what is, how is this going to help our students and, and keeping the students at the center of the dialogue and the value that you're bringing to your school environment. So I, I, I don't think that eventually is, is as long as people might think. That's true, right? The, the long game might not be that long, you know, if you don't delay create creating value for your community so well well that's a perfect way to to sort of wrap it up because the uh the end of the book is this my friends is a call to advocate not tomorrow not next week not next year 
right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more we wait, the more we're missing an opportunity. And you know what, Choir Nation, you have, you know, you have Justin here. You have the rest of the members of Choir Nation on Facebook. You know, you have cheerleaders that are in your court already. You know, if you are a listener to this podcast, you are amongst thousands of people who listen every month that probably share similar similar values to you. Um, you know, and we have a way for you to dialogue with each other, which is the Choir Nation Facebook group, which then turns into meeting up at TMEA or meeting up at, you know, national conferences or, or whatever, where you can find these like-minded members of Choir Nation. And if you're having a hard time playing this game, playing the long game, right, or you're stuck on, on what to do next to provide value to, to your community... Well, guess what? You just ask for help, you know, and you, and if you just need an add a boy or an add a girl, you know, at some point, a little pat on the back, we're here to do that for you. Um, you know, that's why Choir Nation exists. It exists as a place for people to exchange ideas, not just ask for what their favorite SSA piece is or, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> right. right. Let, let's, right. the challenge I have is let's, let's deepen the conversations in these online forums um, and let's continue encouraging each other so that we have the courage to do it right now, um, yes. to advocate now. Let's make the question... Uh, my theme or my concept for this concert is right. playing. I want to fill a slot with an SSA piece that aligns to a theme. Now, as I'm scrolling through, through Facebook, now you've got my you've got my eyes, Choir Nation. Now I can I can automatically be thinking because then I'll then I'll think, oh, that's a really really cool idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder. Now I'm tracking that post to see what everyone else responds to as well. And and now we started a dialogue. So yeah, yeah, I would I would love some of those uh, some of those more more uh, deep thoughtful right uh, posts on Choir Nation. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have a I'm about to have a conversation with my principal about such and such event, and I don't really know how to frame this. You know what I'm gonna say? Can you help me? I mean, literally you know, 50 people will jump in, you know, so, uh, so you have this hive mind and you have at least a a curated group of individuals. Choir Nation is curated. We literally kick you out if you don't, if you're not active, like we did it. We, we lost 500 people earlier, uh, earlier this year or last year. So, because we actually removed them from the group manually, like literally, (laughs) I was like, "Hey Stevie, can you do this, please?" And she's like, "Okay, <laughs> you know." So, so, um, yeah. So, so use the tools that are there. Talk to Justin. Tag him in a post. And you know, um, let's talk about his book, uh, Justin. Um, I'm going to create a page for you. It's going to be choir ninja forward slash Justin, and there you will find a link to download Justin's book. Okay, Choir Nation, um, the book is free, okay, but that doesn't mean it's not valuable. So what, what I want you to do is if you want to support 
a fellow music educator. This is Justin, not me. I'm I'm good. Okay. If you want to support Justin, instead of downloading the book for free and leaving a zero in the little download box, if you want to put in a small donation to Justin as a little pat on the back, thank you. I would encourage that you do that. So it's going to bring you right to a checkout page. Choir.ninja forward slash Justin will bring you um, to a, a checkout page. And then type in however much donation you want to give him and download his book. Uh, you will not you will not regret it. Okay, uh, Justin, is there anything else you'd like to add, or are we good to go? I think we're good to go. Uh, I I really I really appreciate uh, your support, Ryan, and and I credit the podcast uh, quite a bit uh, for giving me the sort of mental frame of mind each week. Uh, to really further these ideas. I think it's so important for all of us as teachers to continue to reinvent ourselves and to continue to question and evolve. And so um, I'm just very thankful. So uh, I hope that uh, Choir Nation enjoys the book and, uh, and that you reach out if you have any questions. Well, Justin, thank you, and I and I appreciate your support because it's it's interviews like this that keep that keeps Choir Ninja going. So, so thank you very much, Choir Nation. Uh, be sure to check out our sponsors, uh, mymusicfolders.com and sightreadingfactory.com, promo code NINJA, and choir.ninja forward slash Justin, uh, so you can download uh, a copy of Letters from the Front Porch. Am I saying that right? I'm saying that right. Yes. Letters from the yes. Front Porch, a simple, brief, common sense advocacy approach for music education. All right, Choir Nation, thank you so much for joining me, and we will see you next time.